As you saw in the video, we are in a series called Together. We are in week three, and we're walking through the book of Philippians, exploring together how God has created us to do life with each other. Everybody here, just say it loud. We're in it together. We're in it together. Everybody joining us online, just put in the chat, we are in it together, that we need one another. Uh, I grew up loving watching the Olympics. Uh, I don't know how many of you enjoy watching the Olympics. I I look forward to it every time it comes around. I I don't get to watch as much of it as I used to, but I still love to look for the stories. Because every time those Olympics come around, there's these incredible stories, backstories of of how people got there and things that happen uh, during the Olympic Games. And this last time around, I came across Uh, This one uh, kind of cool moment, it happened in the 800 meter men's race. Uh, The two guys who were racing right next to each other, one guy named Amos, let me get his name right, Amos Jewett, Isaiah Jewett, and a guy named Nigel Amos. So Isaiah Jewett from the USA, Nigel Amos from Botswana, they were racing uh, in the 800 meter right next to each other, and about halfway through, uh, they collided with one another, and they fell down. Now, what's cool about the story is not the sad part that they collided with one another and they fell down, but what happened immediately after is the two men got up, they helped one another up, and they finished the race. They finished the race with their arms around one another. They finished 54 seconds behind the leader. They knew that they had no chance of winning, but they knew that they had to finish. Now, there's a life lesson in that. Now, so much of the time... We just need to finish the race. Because I imagine when those guys fell down, they didn't feel like getting up. They knew that they weren't going to win. They knew that they weren't going to get what they wanted out of it. They probably felt embarrassed. They probably felt some sense of despair. But they knew that they had to finish. You know, and for you and me and life, when life gets hard, when we're not going to get what we think that we should or what we want out of it, it we can be filled with the, the feelings of despair, of embarrassment, of discouragement. And we may not feel like getting up, but we need to press on. And the truth that we see here with these two men is that we can press on better together than we can alone. So what we're going to talk about today is what does it look like for us to press on together? I've been walking through the book of Philippians. Paul writes this beautiful letter to the church in Philippi, inviting them into this relationship, this fellowship, this sharing. He calls it koinonia, this joining together in life and the mission that God has given them. And he lifts up throughout this letter that they can have joy in their relationship. They can have joy in their purpose, that they can encourage each other. They can help each other. In chapter one, he lays out this foundational truth that we need one another, that we do life better together than we do alone. And we talked about this truth that being together is not just taking up the same space, but it's investing in one another, being vulnerable and sharing our lives with each other. Last week, we moved on to chapter two, where Paul says, take on the attitude, the lens for life that Jesus had, who though he was God, did not cling to his rights as God, but he chose to live his life in obedience to God and to love others by lifting them up as better than himself. 
And we talked about this truth last week that, that d- despite the temptation that I have, that I've got to resist the urge to focus on my rights instead of what's doing right. And then I can know that every moment is an opportunity to give value to someone else because God has already given value to me. So today we keep on in the story, in this letter that Paul writes, and we get to chapter 3, where the overwhelming uh, inspiration and encouragement that Paul wants to lift up is that we press on to win the prize. That we do life together, we lift one another up because we have a target that God has given us. So let's take a look at what Paul has to say, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I what? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, here it is again, I do what? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is inviting us to hear the call of Jesus to press on. Well, there's something very, very, very important about this as we press on together. It's something that Paul experienced in his life, and he shared with everybody who would listen, is that if I'm going to press on, I need to make sure that I'm headed in the right direction. (laughs) Have you ever seen one of those signs as you're driving in that says, no entry, or it might say wrong way. Anybody ever seen those signs? Anybody ever accidentally drive down that road or maybe on purpose uh, drive down that road even though you know it says wrong way? Uh, Or what's even scarier, have you ever been going down a road and somebody's coming at you the wrong way? Because here's the thing about when you're going the wrong direction. It's not about how hard you try or how fast you go, it's correcting your path. Because if you're going the wrong direction, the harder you push that gas pedal and the faster you go, the further away you're getting from where you need to be. And the more and more danger you're putting yourself in. So this is what Paul had to learn in his life. It wasn't about how hard you try or how fast you go. It's moving in the right direction. And so this is what Paul would say to us if you're taking notes. Here's truth number one, is that I need to evaluate my direction and beliefs. If I'm going to press on, I need to start by evaluating my direction and my beliefs. This is what Paul had to do. He had to evaluate his pursuit in life. Paul had to look at his life and say, am I moving in the right direction? Not based on what I feel, 
but what's based on truth. You know, as we look at the life of Paul, here's one thing that strikes me, is that Paul didn't turn to Jesus because his life was falling apart or because he felt bad. Paul turned to Jesus because he was confronted by the truth of the risen Son of God. He was on top of it all. In the pursuits of his life and what he thought was important and the measure of success that he had, he was at the very, very top. He says, if anybody has reason to boast about their life, it was me. And he calls out this one particular group. If you read earlier in chapter 3, he's reaching out and he's talking about this group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group of people who said, yes, God loves you. Yes, God wants to save you. But in order for you to experience that salvation, you got to check off all the boxes, obey all the rules, follow the law, and be good enough that God can work in your life. And what Paul said to them, he said, if that was the way to get to God, then I would have been there. And he starts to lay out his resume. Because based on performance and based on passion and based on resume, Paul had it all. And he says, you know what? I was born of the Hebrew people. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was pure lineage in the Jewish people. A Hebrew of Hebrews. And he probably spoke Hebrew in his home and in his circle while people around him were speaking the, the, the language of the Roman Empire. He said, I was a Pharisee, meaning if you're trying to obey all the rules, let me tell you, I knew all the rules. I knew everyone. I checked off every box. And to talk about passion, he said, I was the most zealous of them all to the point that I was even chasing people down, not just in my hometown, but all over the Roman Empire for those who weren't doing it the quote unquote right way. But what Paul began to understand as he experienced the risen Jesus in his life, when Jesus came and appeared to him and blinded him and said, you, I've got a different way for you. Paul began to understand it's not how hard you try or how fast you go. If you're heading in the wrong direction, you're moving further and further and further away from where you want to be. In verse 7, Paul says, I count it all as loss. That word loss in the original language, it doesn't just mean to miss out. It means that something is in your life that's actually taking you away from where you want to be. It's not just getting you to the place you want to be. It's moving you in the wrong direction. And Paul said, I had to count all of that. Everything I was depending on, everything that I thought was about success, everything that I thought was about being a good person, everything that I thought was so very important, I realized was not just not getting me there, but it was moving me in the wrong direction. And I had to let it go. So Paul is encouraging us to evaluate what is it I believe about God? What is it I believe about myself? What is it I believe about truth? And based on that, what is the direction of my life? Is it moving me toward the true revelation, the person of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Or is it moving me toward religion and, and toward behavior and toward pride? Where, where is my belief taking me to? And I need to want, have an urge in my life, an urgency in my life that every step I take is moving me to Jesus. There is no neutral ground. You don't sit still. You're either moving toward Jesus or you're moving away from him. And so as I look at the beliefs and the direction of my life, it just comes down to this one question. Based on where do I want to, where I want to be, 
What do I need to do? Or you could ask it this way. Where are the beliefs and decisions in my life taking me to? Is this going to lead me to Jesus? Is it going to lead me to the glory of God, as we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks? Is it moving me to the purpose that he has for me? Or is it moving me away from it? There is no such thing as the gospel of, of behavior modification. We, we don't change our behavior to get in with God. It is faith and faith alone. Paul says, by grace of God, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the only freedom that we ever have in this life is by faith and by trust. To realize and to rest in and to trust that Jesus is enough. That when Jesus died on the cross and he went to the tomb and three days later he rose again, that that was everything that needed to be done that I might experience salvation and life and God. And all I need to do is to lay down what I think is so important and come to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender to you. And as we sang, to be, have an attitude where we come to God and say, if you say no, then, then I won't move. God, if you say to, to now's the time, then I'm jumping in. God, I just need the Spirit of God to lead me step by step, and I'm surrendered to you. Do we really trust in Jesus? Now, before we all say yes, of course I do. Let me, let me give us a little litmus test about where our trust is in Christ. Do we really believe that he's enough? Everybody here, on, everybody watching on, just, just think about it for a minute. What are the triggers in your life right now? Are there things in the world, in your life, that move you to be desperately fearful, to be in despair, to want to give up, to be so angry at others that we lash out, or we keep others at a distance? Are there things in your life, I mean, if I were to say some words like vaccine, or mask, or border, or Republican, or Democrat, what are the feelings that rise up in us? Is it despair, fear, anger at someone else? If we are being overwhelmed by those emotions and they're keeping us fixated and fixed at a, at a point where we're not moving toward Jesus together and not inviting others on the road with us, then we might need to ask ourselves the question, how much do I really trust that Jesus is enough and that Jesus is the answer? A little test for us today. So what do we need to do? We need to press on and we need to start stripping off all the baggage, the things that are bringing fear and despair and anger and division. We need to start stripping those things off and running as fast as we can and picking people up along the way and moving toward the finish line, which is Jesus and the inheritance we have in him of eternal life and our relationship with God forever. And we need to start taking some things off. That's what Paul invites us into. He says, there are things that will help us and things that will hurt us. If you're taking notes, write this down. I might need to let go of things that prevent life and hold on to things that give life. 
The truth is there are some things in our lives that will prevent us from growing in Christ, that will prevent us from experiencing abundant life in Him. And sometimes it's being able to move forward and we need to take off this, uh, this temptation to giving in to shame and regret. Shame and regret can keep us from living the life that God wants for us, that we've got things in our past, things that we did, things that we didn't do, things that we, we gave into, the way we lived our lives. And Satan, for so many of us, continues to bring those things up again and again and again and again. And he says, remember who you were? Remember what you did? Jesus could never love you. You got to fix yourself. You, you're not good enough. You're not worthy to step up and join with God. Remember what you did? And we're overwhelmed with that shame and regret. And we need to be willing to strip that off and say, no, the truth is that when Jesus died, it was finished. That he came that I might be forgiven and set free. That where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't have to carry all these chains of who I was or what I did. Because God's moving in my life and he's, he's already forgiven me. And I just come to him and receive it. It may not be the shame and regret that we need to strip off. For some of us, it might be the lies that we've agreed to about ourselves. That somewhere along the way, we experienced a pain. Uh, we experienced a difficulty. Something done or not done. An event that we walked through. And somewhere along that vulnerable place of our lives, somebody spoke something over us. And what they said over us was a lie. You're not worthy. Nobody could ever love you. You're going to have to protect yourself. Don't let anybody in. Nobody's trustworthy. Or whatever it might be. And there was a lie spoken over us. And some of us are still carrying the weight of that lie today. And it is hampering us from stepping into the fullness of Christ. And we need to strip it off. For some of us, it might be that we've agreed with a lie about God. That someone in a moment of pain or a moment of ignorance or an, a moment of arrogance or pride have lifted up something about God that simply isn't true. And many in our world, we like to live on the extremes. And so some will, will harp on the justice of God. And we get to a place where we believe that God could never love me as I am. And we miss out on the grace of God. But some in our world, we live on the other extreme and we harp on the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And we forget that God has called me to be transformed and to live a life of pursuit of him where I'm becoming more and more holy, more and more like Christ each and every day. And we live our lives as though we have a license to do whatever we want to do. Or somebody might have said to you, God's not real. He's just a crutch. Or, or they might have said, God hates people like that. God didn't die for people like this. And it might just be that we need to get back into prayer, a posture of Lord, teach me, Lord, guide me, and opening up the word of God daily and say, I need to know what is true of you, Lord. And strip off the lies about God. But it's not just letting go of the things that prevent life. It's also holding on to the things that give life. 
And there are some things that will move us toward the heart of God. One of those things is if we can be willing to take a step of trust, an act of trusting the Lord, an act of obedience when I do not know where it's going to land me. That I'm asking daily, Lord, what are you calling me to do? And when I hear that still small voice of God or when I see it spelled out in the word of God that I take a step of obedience. God, is this true of what I know of you? God, will this bring you glory? God, will it bless someone else? Okay, then I'm stepping forward even if I don't know where it's gonna take me because I trust you. It might be an act of trust. It might be pursuing an intimacy with the Lord and spending time with him. A day after day pursuit, listening and speaking and being aware of the presence of God. Letting his love and his grace and his power of his presence just wash over you. It might be an investment in the lives of other Jesus followers that we, we know that we need one another. We've talked about this, that, that we don't just show up to church to get a good message or to get a good feeling out of our time together, but we show up week after week after week knowing that someday somebody's gonna need me or I'm gonna need somebody. That we come together to read the word of God because we know that we read it better together than we do alone. That it protects me from leading, reading scripture through my own personal, prideful, broken lens. But I need people to do life with that can help me say, God, what does your word say? That we pray together that, that we might be healed. We pray together to experience forgiveness. We pray together that we might experience the power of God. And so we invest our lives together that we could have more of that abundant life. And ultimately we're focusing on the prize, that eternal reward. Remembering Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. I got to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back for you. I've got a reward for you. And one day we're going to stand before God and all God is going to see for those of us who have put our faith in, in Jesus Christ. All he will see is the righteousness of his son. And we will receive rewards for the faithful obedience. And we're going to get to take those and lay them at the feet of God. And worship him forever and ever and ever. So we take on those things that will move us into life. And we press on, stripping away the baggage, stripping away the burdens, taking on the grace and the goodness of God. And there's one thing through it all that we can never, ever lose. There's lots of things that we can lose. Along the way, we might lose our keys. We might lose our patience. We might lose our temper. But brothers and sisters, there's one thing we must never lose. Never, if you're taking notes, never lose hope. Never lose hope. If we are followers of Jesus, we are people of hope that we never underestimate what God is about to do. So much of the time when, when I experience the setback, it's just God getting me ready for the set up of what he's about to do. That God is the God of, un, of miracles, of, of the impossible. That God is always faithful and good and true no matter what I'm experiencing. And because of that, brothers and sisters, we do not move forward based on what I feel. We move forward based on what I know is true true. Yeah, there's going to be feelings where I don't, or days where I don't feel it. 
I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like trusting. I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like moving forward. I don't feel like reaching out. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like getting into the word. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like giving grace. I don't feel like lifting somebody up, even if it may cost me, but I hold on to truth. Because ultimately God is God and I am not. And so I'll follow him. Never losing hope. That we know we are people of perpetual hope. Not based on the experiences of what I walk through, but the truth, the historical truth of what Jesus did. That is the message of the cross and the empty tomb, that there is always hope in Christ. See, I don't know what's next necessarily or what's around the bend or what's coming the next day, but I know who's already there. God's already there working it out for his glory and my good for everyone who surrenders to Jesus, confessing with our mouth and trusting with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's one of the things that we've experienced that I hope that we can see over these last two years. There are two things beyond COVID that are very contagious. One of those is despair. As we watch the news, as we get on social media, as we see all the junk, as we might even be participating, blasting a leader or an official or an organization or an event, Despair is contagious. But the other thing that is also contagious is hope. And what I've come to experience is when the two battle it out, hope always wins. Let's spread hope like wildfire. Because God is already in tomorrow. If you're here today or you're watching online or you're catching up later, and you're following Jesus and you've surrendered your life to him, then that means that you are to be a witness and a sharer of hope. Meaning we need to look for it. And when we see it, we need to tell about it. Our world needs a message of hope right now. And if you're struggling and you're not sure where that's at, or maybe Jesus is not the center of your life. Maybe you know all about him, but you don't have that intimate kind of knowing that Paul said, he said, I just wanna know him. I wanna know the good and the bad. I wanna know his suffering. I wanna know his resurrection. That word that Paul lifts up to know, it doesn't just mean like, I believe like two plus two equals four. It means that I have an intimate relationship with him. I know him inside and out. If you don't know Christ that way, then it's gonna be really hard to find hope. And if that's where you are, I, I'm just challenging you, encouraging you to put him to the test, to seek him, pursue him. What if it's true? And, and to say, I, I might just need you in my life and I promise you, you will experience life and hope and peace and joy and it'll start to grow. And it won't matter what happens in the world because this world is not your home. We're moving on to the prize, pressing on together. And if Jesus is the center of your life and you surrender to him, it's time that we start spreading hope. 
You are a witness. You are a sharer of the good news. Are you looking for hope? Because we will see what we look for. Are you looking for hope around you? This last week, two weeks for me have been a very difficult couple of weeks in ministry. A lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain going around. But as I begin to get on my knees and pray and realize that it's the Lord who does the fighting, it's the Lord's battle, God has begun to let me see glimpses and, and not just glimpses, but it's starting to, to come out in the open. Good news, the hope of Christ. It's almost as if there are things that have been ha happening behind a curtain and God has pulled the curtain back. And I'm beginning to see the light and the truth and the hope of what God is doing. And I want that for you. I want that for us. And I want us to share that, that we would let our hope be contagious. So if you'll stand, I want to pray for all of us. And as I set up our prayer time, I just have two questions. Number one, do you have hope in your life? If not, there's an answer. It's not religion. It's not an organization. It's not a law. It's not a shot. It's not a politician. His name is Jesus. And if you know him, then who in your life needs to hear a message of hope? Maybe it's a family member, maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor. We need to be witnesses and sharers of hope. So I'm gonna pray for us that we could find that hope and we'd be witnesses and sharers of that hope today. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we praise you. You are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, the savior from sin and death. You are our truth. God, you are the life. You are the way. You are everything our heart and soul longs for. God, you are the answer to the brokenness of the world. God, you are the love that wells up in our hearts for others. God, you are forgiveness. You are miracles. God, you are everything good and true and right. Father, please forgive us of all the ways we go 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction, thinking that our salvation is going to be in a policy or a politician or in an organization or an event. God, we need to know that our salvation is found in the person of Jesus. And I pray that we can surrender to that truth and that reality today. God, for all of us who've been playing the game of religion, we've called ourselves Christians, but we've not surrendered fully to know you intimately. God, let there be a reckoning today, an awakening, a, a, a vision of the truth that, that we're trying to do it on our own and we can take the burden off of our shoulders and let it lie squarely on you and let you be enough. God, if we're overwhelmed with anger or despair or frustration, God, I pray that that would be a sign to us that there's something more that you wanna do in our lives and that we would surrender to that today. And Lord, for all of us who are just chasing after you and we're weary and we're tired and we're burdened, but we know your only hope. God, give us signs of what you're doing and then give us people to share it with. Put a burden in our hearts so we gotta share the good news of hope with somebody on this day and this week and this month. 
God, come and do what only you can do. Stir in our hearts, Lord. Let us just bow before you because the battle belongs to you. And we need you, Lord. We are a desperate need for you. So as we sing, Lord, if there's anybody who needs to come and meet with you about anything, give them the courage, give them the nudge, just come and kneel at these rails or kneel at their seat and let you do a work in them, a freeing, liberating work in their heart and mind. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.